Hey there, and thanks for tuning in to a message from New King Church. We're a church located in South Burlington, Vermont, and our prayer is that this resource would help you find and follow Jesus. If you want to know more about our church and the ministries we have, check us out at newkingchurch.com. Good morning, New King Church. Our reading is from Matthew chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. After I finish reading, I'll say, this is the word of the Lord, if you'd respond by saying, thanks be to God. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry, and they began to pluck heads of grain and eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. He said to them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry, and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, which it was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests? Or have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. And if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would have not condemned the guiltless, for the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. He went on from there and entered their synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand, and they asked him, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath, so that they might accuse him? He said to them, Which one of you who has a sheep, if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out? Of how much more value is a man than a sheep? So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand, and the man stretched it out, and it was restored, healthy like the other. But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. morning. We've got an interesting passage this morning, Uh, one that was a little bit more challenging for me. I, I, uh, you know, some passages that I'm preaching on, I read them, and... The sermon that I feel like the Lord's wanting me to preach just comes to me uh, easily. Then other passages, like this one, are a little harder for me. And, uh, and so it, it's a good thing when, when that's the case. I have to really, really meditate on it, chew on it a lot, read it a lot, pray about it a lot. And typically, with those types of passages, God teaches me uh, the most and so I feel the same with this passage this week. It's, it's just been uh, really refreshing to, to, to see what is it that God is saying in this passage and what is it that he's wanting to say to you. What's, what's he wanting to say to New King Church through this text? Uh, we, just to remind us of sort of the context of where we are, in chapter 11 <clears throat> is when we find out John the Baptist is arrested, and so there's some, some rising conflict happening in the story. And we begin to see a little bit of a change in how Jesus is teaching and preaching. He's starting to um, call out this generation. We'll see that repeated. He's calling out this generation. And, and then we even saw in chapter 11 that he preaches woes to the cities that saw his mighty works, but they didn't repent. And 
so there is certainly this, this sense in which Jesus is starting to, to be a little bit more forthcoming with some of his harder things. Uh, but then, last week, we really focused on this incredible invitation that Jesus offers in the midst of saying some harder things. He says, listen, if you're weary, if you're, if you're laboring, if you're heavy burdened, come to me and I will give you rest Rest for your soul. And that's what leads us into this passage, and they're actually incredibly connected. What this, this passage, we're seeing um, a lot of talk about the Sabbath, and the Sabbath is all about rest, right? And the question is being raised, what, what constitutes breaking of the Sabbath, a command that God had given to his people. What we see here, and we're going to see continuing as we, as we continue to go through Matthew, is this conflict between Jesus and the religious rulers, the religious leaders of the day. And what these religious leaders, um, they are like the guardians of the culture. There was an interesting podcast I listened to a while back called This Cultural Moment, and and in it, they talked about how whenever there's a dominant culture, there are guardians of that culture, people who, who guard that fiercely. You might see that here in Vermont or in Burlington or, or wherever you go, you're going to find whatever the dominant culture, there are going to be guardians of that culture who are trying to preserve that. And that's what we see with these religious leaders. Um, and so they are offended by Jesus, by the ways that he's challenging them. They were offended by John the Baptist, and now John the Baptist is in jail. And so um, I think there's much that we're going to learn today from Jesus, much we're going to learn from these Pharisees as well, and some warnings for us. So let's pray together. Let's ask God to teach us and open up our hearts to his word and what he has to say to us. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for your word and that it is alive and active and powerful and that it, um, that it pierces to the division of soul and spirit and joints and marrow. That it is the sword of the spirit. So Holy Spirit, we ask, would you come wield the sword? Come and use your sword. Pierce our hearts. Show us ourselves in the ways that you're wanting us to change and to repent. Show us Jesus. Help us to see Jesus clearly today, that we might leave here worshiping him, truly worshiping him, adoring him, seeing him for who he is. I ask it in his name, in Jesus' name. Amen. So, Let's look at this a few verses at a time. I want to look at these first two verses. It says, At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry, and they began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. So, Here we have this scene. Jesus is walking along with his disciples 
And remember the context here. Remember what he's just said. He said, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And now his disciples are doing that. Okay? His disciples have, have said yes to Jesus. They've come to him. They've taken his yoke upon themselves, and they're learning from him. They are in a relationship with Jesus, walking with him. And they're walking with him on the Sabbath day, and they're going through this grain field, and they're hungry. I imagine the way that Jesus lived, when you read the Gospels, the way that Jesus lived is he always assumes that the Father is going ahead of him to provide, whether that's he needs to feed 5,000 people, and he sees a boy with his lunchbox, and he says, that's it, the Father has provided. Or whether, you know, whether he is, um, needs to get across the Sea of Galilee, and it's a storm, and he doesn't have a boat, and he just thinks, well, I've got my feet, so I guess this is the way today. And he walks across. Jesus has this, this way of seeing the world where he expects the Father's provision everywhere he goes. And I think that this is probably what we're seeing here. Maybe the disciples woke up and they said, what's for breakfast, Jesus? And he said, the, the, the Father will provide. You know, I just imagine the Father will provide. And then they're walking, they're on their way, going somewhere, um, probably to the synagogue. And he says, here we go. Here's some food. Here's some grain. And so what they're doing, they're plucking these heads of grain. They're rubbing them in their hands to separate the grain from the chaff, and then they're, they're eating the grain. Now, this was not, there was nothing wrong with this. This wasn't stealing. And specifically, um, in Deuteronomy 23, at the end of that chapter, it addresses this very thing. It says, this is permitted. If you're walking through your neighbor's field and you just want to pluck a little bit off and you want to eat it, that is perfectly fine. It's not stealing. There's nothing wrong with this. This is um, addressed in the law. So what they're doing is lawful. They're not putting a sickle to it. They're not, they're not harvesting. But, but the Pharisees don't see it that way. And so the Pharisees, they, uh, I, I picture, and this is something that I, I want us to see as sort of a contrast here, is here you have the disciples who, are, who have come to Jesus to find rest, who've taken his yoke. They're living in relationship with the living God. Jesus is God in the flesh. They're living in relationship with him. They are experiencing true life. And then you have the Pharisees, and they've come along, and they are still bound up. They're bound up. They're under the slavery of the law, under the slavery of sin. And they have come to spy out the freedom of these disciples, kind of like what Paul talks about in Galatians 2, how people have come in to spy out our freedom in Christ and in, in order to bring us back under a yoke of slavery. And that's what these Pharisees are doing. They've come to spy out the freedom that these disciples have, the joy that they have as they walk with the Messiah. And they accuse them of breaking the Sabbath. Because in order, to, in, in order for this to be Sabbath breaking, this would have to be harvesting. This would have to be, they're, they're actually harvesting this grain, which is crazy. It's crazy. But this is what happens when we start to live 
um, the way that the Pharisees did, by the rules and traditions of men. The Sabbath was commanded as a day of rest by God to his people. The word Sabbath means to cease. It comes from the root word to cease. It's to stop working. And the Sabbath was a day, one in seven, that God's people were to stop working. They were to rest. They were to let their servants rest. They were to let their animals rest. They were to let their fields rest. In the same story in Mark, Jesus says, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was meant to be a gift. And here these Pharisees have turned it into a burden, a burden. Um, And the Sabbath was, it says in Exodus 31, a sign of something. In Exodus 31, God says, this Sabbath is to be a sign between me and my people. So it's a foreshadowing of a rest that's coming. What is that rest that's coming? Well, it is what Hebrews chapter 4 talks about. It is the rest that we have from the law or from working to be right with God when we believe the good news about Jesus. We'll get into more of that in a little bit. So this was to be a sign. Jesus is the fulfillment of that sign. That, That Sabbath rest is here. He is walking the earth. His disciples are enjoying relationship with him, and the Pharisees are indignant. Um, by this point, the, the Pharisees, the, the, um, they, they lived by the Talmud, and the Talmud was a collection of rabbinical teachings, and by, by this point in time, there were 24 chapters on how to keep the Sabbath. God gives the command in a couple of verses, in a few sentences, and by this point in time, the rabbis have taken that, and they've turned it into 24 chapters of rules and regulations. This constitutes work, and this doesn't, and so it's, it's gotten insane. An example would be that only 1,999 steps were allowed on the Sabbath. If you take 2,000 you're working. 1,999, you're good. And so literally it had gotten to the point to where you had to count every step on the Sabbath to make sure you didn't go over. They, they um, didn't allow you to go uh, more than, I can't remember, it's something around 8,000 meters from your home. However, you could tie a string to your home and roll that out, and that was considered an extension of your home, and then you could go 8,000 meters from that point. So they they had to figure out, how can we get around these rules that we're creating but still do what we need to do? Um, According to the Talmud, you could not set a dislocated shoulder on the Sabbath. Somebody dislocates their shoulder, they're in immense pain, and they say, sorry, it's going to have to wait till tomorrow. (laughs) You couldn't splint a broken wrist. Somebody breaks their wrist, and that thing is all out of, out of whack, and you can't even splint the thing. You have to say, well, this is not life-threatening. It has to wait until tomorrow. 
The Pharisees were what we would call legalists. Uh, a legalist is somebody whose their guiding life principle is a set of rules in order to be righteous. And I, w- I would say, I would argue that we have two types of legalists today. We still have religious legalists like the Pharisees, but we also have secular legalists. The religious legalists add commands to the Bible in order to make it more precise or expansive than God, than our Lord intended those commands to be. Um, and so we, we, we see, we might see and recognize uh, a legalist who is a religious legalist because they're always looking at or looking for the sins in others. And they're assuming that they don't have any. <laughs> um, you, you might recognize them by the fact that they, uh, they want others to be just as bound up as they are by all the rules that they follow that are not commands of Scripture. There are also secular legalists. Now, these are the guardians of our culture today. And they create rules and regulations as well that, that, that help you to follow their teachings and their philosophies as well. So, for example, they might, they might teach, you know, that, it's, that it is right to discover your truth. And then they're going to have to create rules and regulations and things that you must do or say or believe in order to discover your truth. Or they might say that tolerance is the greatest virtue that there is. And so then they're going to create rules and regulations and language that you can and can't use and things that you can't can't say, bumper stickers that you should have on your vehicle um, in in order to be righteous. They're going to determine what language is acceptable and what isn't. What language can be used and what must be silenced. What religions, what social views, what political views, even what organizations and businesses are acceptable and what are not. You can see how there's a parallel here. There are rules and regulations about all of life for the legalist, and they want to put everyone under that burden. They want to put that weight, that yoke on everyone. The Pharisees, like all legalists, they, what they're doing, they're creating laws that they can keep. Do you see how much easier it is to count your steps and know if I took 2,000 or 1,999 versus honoring everyone, outdoing another person in showing honor or loving God with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my strength, or not looking at a person with lust, Jesus comes and he addresses the heart of the law. The Pharisees are so focused on the outward stuff because when you get focused on the outward stuff, you can actually create these things around it, build these things around it so that you can keep it. And so legalists become blind to their own sins. 
they see what they deem to be sins in everyone around them. And they become outraged by what they see to be sins in everyone around them. We're going to see that in just a bit. All right, let's look at verses 3 through 8. So Jesus responds to this accusation that the Pharisees bring against his disciples. And here's what he says. He said to them, have you not read? I love that. He's going to point them to the scriptures, the the scriptures that they were apparently experts in. Have you not read what David did when he was hungry and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, which it was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests? Or have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. And if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus, um, an expert on the Word of God. He is, in fact, according to John chapter 1, the Word of God made flesh. The Word of God in flesh walking this earth. And He uses the Word to teach and to correct and to train. I love it. So He points them back to the Word. The Word that they were supposed to have memorized as Pharisees. I love the fact that Jesus is always eager to teach people. I love the fact that he doesn't just brush them off. If I was in this situation, I think my tendency would be to put my head down and say, guys, don't listen to them. Let's just go. Let's just go. But not Jesus. Not Jesus. And this is something I want to learn from and get better at. Jesus' heart is to teach always and not just those who are actually open to hearing it that's the thing that blows my mind he is eager to teach his opponents they're hostile to him and he stops and takes the time and says let me just teach you for a minute (laughs) i love this um in 2 Timothy 2, 24 through 26, we actually have that verse. Let me put it up on the screen. It says this, And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. Can you not see that in Jesus here? Can you not see this in him He's not quarrelsome. He's kind. He's teaching them. He's patiently enduring evil. He's not not taking offense, which would have immediately just shut him off, right, to being able to, to correct his opponents with gentleness. This is commanded of us. This is supposed to be our posture as well. That we're not quarrelsome, kind, we're patient, 
patiently enduring evil, and correcting our opponents with gentleness. I love how Jesus does this. So he points them to these two, two places in the scriptures. Have you not read what David did uh, when he and his men were hungry and they didn't have access to any food? And what were they doing? They were, David was the anointed king by God, but Saul was still on the throne and trying to kill him. And they were on the run. These were God's servants, David and his men, doing God's will, trying to survive. And David, understanding that, that they were not doing their own work, but the Lord's knew that the Lord wanted them to stay alive. And so they were able to eat the bread of the presence, which was not lawful for them to eat. They were able to eat it with a clear conscience. And then the priests, he says, have you not read in the law how the priests on the Sabbath, they, they profane the temple. They're working the whole day, right? They're at work the entire day on the Sabbath, serving in the temple, and they are not guilty of Sabbath breaking. Why? Because they're serving the temple. And the temple represents the very presence of God among his people. And here we have Jesus the very presence of God among his people, the very thing that the temple was foreshadowing, walking the earth, and those disciples, his servants, are not guilty of breaking the Sabbath as long as they are with him. Something greater than the temple is here. He is pointing them to himself, always trying to open their eyes to who he really is, gently correcting them that perhaps, perhaps God might grant them repentance, that they might escape the snare of the devil. And he brings up this quote from the Old Testament. He says, if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would have not condemned the guiltless. Uh, that is a quote from Hosea 6, 6. Let's put that up there. I desire, now the ESV translates that word mercy, steadfast love. I desire steadfast love or mercy and not sacrifice. He's quoting this for the second time with these Pharisees. He's, he's already told them back in Matthew chapter 9 when they were getting on to Jesus for hanging out with sinners and tax collectors. He says, you need to go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to save the righteous but sinners. So he's already told them to go and learn what this means, and now he's bringing it back up. You haven't learned what this means. <laughs> What he is saying here, among other things, is you don't really know God. Do you see the the verse? I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. What he is very gently saying to these Pharisees is you don't know God. You don't understand the heart of God. And that's why you're missing God in the flesh right in front of you. What God is after is the heart. 
what God is after in his people is a people that love him. Not, not all of our sacrifices. What he's after is that we know him, that we walk with him, not that we impress him with our rule following. What he's after is that we would obey him, but that it would be an obedience that comes out of love, steadfast love. And the Pharisees didn't know God. They knew the Word. They knew the Word of God, but not the God of the Word. What a warning for us today. We could know these Bibles forward and backward. That we could listen to sermons daily. That we could say our prayers religiously. And that we could all the while not know God. And so these Pharisees, they didn't know God. In John chapter 5, Jesus rebukes them by saying, You search the Scriptures thinking that in them you'll, you'll find life, but it's they that testify about me. Yet you do not come to me that you may have life. He's offering to them real life, abundant life. He's offering to them a kind of rest that they've never experienced, that his disciples are just stepping into, and they're coming and trying to rob them of that. The Pharisees missed the point of the word. They missed the point of the law. In both of these examples, we have something that points directly to Jesus. The bread of the presence is pointing directly to Jesus. It is a foreshadowing of Jesus coming. The bread of life, God among us, and the temple, God among us. And here he is. They missed the point of the law in pointing to Jesus. They studied the law and thought they could actually obey it when the law was meant to bring us to our knees and show us that we are helpless, that we need a Savior. And they missed it. He says, if you would have known what this means, if you would have known what this quote in Hosea 6.6 means, that God is after heartfelt heart of obedience, not sacrifices. He's after a relationship, the knowledge of God, and not sacrifices. You would not have condemned the guiltless. The Pharisees are condemning the disciples here, and they have done nothing wrong. They are so blind to who God really is that ultimately they condemn the truly guiltless one, the innocent one, Jesus, and murder him. So what do we learn about Jesus here? He makes this astonishing claim in verse 8. That the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. This is a clear claim to deity. The Son of Man is his favorite title for himself. It's pointing back to 
uh, Daniel chapter 7 of this messianic prophecy. And so he uses this frequently as a title for himself. And then he says, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. What does that mean, that he is Lord of the Sabbath? Well, I want us to think about this for just a minute. When was the Sabbath instituted? The Sabbath was instituted at creation on the seventh day. Every single time God gives the command, the in the Old Testament to his people about keeping a Sabbath, he says, for, because in six days I created the world and on the seventh day I rested. This is when the Sabbath was instituted, was at creation. Now, if that's the case, then in order to be Lord of the Sabbath, you had to be there when it was instituted. And Jesus was there. Colossians 1.16 says, For by him, by Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on earth. John 1 says that he created it all. The word of God created it all. In six days, Jesus created all things. And on the seventh day, he rested. He blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. And Sabbath, again, means to stop working, to cease. And it is a sign, and Hebrews 4 tells us, that it is a sign of a day when God's people will enter into his rest. And Hebrews 4, 3 says that we enter into that rest when we believe. And Hebrews 4, 2 says that what we're believing is the good news that's come to us. So the Sabbath rest for the people of God is the rest that comes from believing the good news about Jesus. Jesus is the fulfillment of this sign of the Sabbath. Remember what he's just said. Come to me and I will give you rest. Rest from what? Rest from dead works to serve the living God. Rest from sin that you have been enslaved to. Rest from guilt that has kept you from drawing near to God. Rest from man-made rules and religion. Rest from people-pleasing. We learn that Jesus is the Lord of Sabbath rest because Jesus is God. Now let's look at this next section. It says, He went on from there, verse 9, and entered their synagogue. And a man was there with a withered hand, and they asked him, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him? Now, Jesus enters into what kind of would have felt like their turf, the Pharisees' turf, the synagogue. It's, It's where they felt comfortable. This is where we're in charge here in the synagogue, or so they would have felt. And Jesus goes there, and it seems that they have kind of set a trap for him. Whether they planted this guy with the, with the hand that needed healing, or, or whether he was just there and they just saw it as an opportunity, we don't know. But here they are watching. What's he going to do? Is he going to heal? Because according to the Talmud, you could not heal on the Sabbath. 
you couldn't splint a broken wrist. You couldn't uh, put a dislocated shoulder back into place. And so they're watching him, actively trying to, to trap him publicly. The Pharisees think that to heal would be sin, would be breaking the Sabbath. But they're wrong. They've believed a lie, and the lie that they believed creates a paradigm for how they are seeing Jesus. This is very important because the same thing happens today. When we believe a lie, something that is not true, we judge Jesus by that false paradigm, by that lie. We look through that lens The difference in their day and ours is that back then, because Jesus was right there in the flesh, there was no mistaking who Jesus was. But in our day, when people look through a lie and see Jesus through their lie that they believe and judge Jesus by that, what often happens today is that they redefine who Jesus is. They create a new Jesus to suit themselves. Another Jesus is what Paul calls it in 2 Corinthians 11.4, which is not Jesus at all. We have to be careful that we do not come to Jesus in the Scriptures with our own preconceived notions about what he must be like or should be like. But we must come to him and let Jesus speak for himself. The one thing the Pharisees never did, they wouldn't listen. They wouldn't let Jesus simply speak for himself. And so they missed him. Let's look at verses 11 through 14. Levin says, he said to them, which one of you who has a sheep, if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out? Of how much more value is a man than a sheep? So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. It is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. He's teaching them. He's correcting them. He's trying to help them. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And the man stretched it out, and it was restored, healthy like the other. But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. Now, what we learn about the Pharisees here is that they are clearly not motivated by love. They care nothing about this guy who has only had the use of one hand for his whole life and has the opportunity to be restored. They care nothing about him. They want him to be a tool so that they can trap Jesus. And Jesus is pointing out how little they care about people. It's interesting what he says here. He shows a symptom of of a people who do not know God is that they begin to value animals more than they value the lives of humans. And this has happened in our culture today. Has it not? Do people not love animals more than they love human beings? More than they love the unborn? 
Jesus says, if your sheep falls into a pit on the Sabbath, you're going to rescue that thing. How much more valuable is a man than a sheep? Of how much more value is a human being than a dog? Is a human being than an animal? And one of the things that we see happen in a culture that has turned its back on God is that it so undervalues human life that all of the sudden it begins to overvalue the life of animals. Something has to fill that void. We should love animals, by the way, just not not more than humans. So he corrects these Pharisees. He points them to their error. He shows them in a way that they should be able to understand and see. Now, I want to look at one last big idea here, the last few minutes. And I want us to see a kind of rest that is displayed here. And that is rest from pleasing people. Jesus, when he went into this synagogue, he knew exactly what he was getting into. And he went in utterly fearless. Always utterly fearless. Jesus was never for one second, for one millisecond, afraid of the disapproval of men. Never. He never let the pressures that were being put upon him, whether spoken or unspoken, dictate what he did or influence what he did in the least. In fact, he never felt pressure being placed on him by anyone. Why? When we, when we talk about feeling pressure by coworkers or family or by our culture or whatever, Pressure is a word we might use in social situations where there is, we know there's an expectation being placed upon us and there's an internal conflict, an internal battle. Are we going to do what we believe is right or are we going to give in to the pressure? Jesus felt none of that because there was no sliver of his heart that longed for the approval of men. Do do you understand how free Jesus was? You talk about being at rest. Not one sliver of his being longed for the approval of men. He cared only about the heart of his Father's approval. He did only what he knew the Father wanted done. Not what people expected of him. Not what the culture expected of him or the Pharisees expected of him or even his disciples expected of him. He was ruled by one desire. Father, not my will, but your will be done. And so... He was entirely and radically free. 
What we see when we read the Gospels is what it looks like to be a man completely, radically, and entirely free. Do do you understand that? That in order to be able to do the things he did, he had to be completely free. This is another aspect of Sabbath rest that I want us to see. Jesus was at rest. He was yoked to the Father, doing his Father's will totally free of the expectations of man. He also developed disciples who would live the same way. They were on that journey already. As we saw at the beginning of this story, they're walking with Jesus. The Pharisees are glaring at them, follow them around, and they're still taking that, those heads of grain. <laughs> they're, they're at the beginning of this journey, trying to learn how to live free, to care only about what Jesus is asking them to do. But we see them grow up into it. In Acts chapter 5, Verses 40 through 42, the apostles, these very disciples, are beaten because they're out preaching the good news of Jesus. They're they're arrested, they're brought in, they're beaten, they are charged not to speak in the name of Jesus. They were canceled. And you know what they do? It says they go out from there rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer for the name. Now, if that isn't freedom, I don't know what is. If that isn't rest, I don't know what is. That is what Jesus is offering to his disciples. That's what he's offering to us. He is offering total and absolute freedom from people-pleasing, from living under the pressures of this world. He's offering freedom to do good, freedom to please our Father in heaven. The Lord of the Sabbath has provided a Sabbath rest for His people, and He's done it through the cross. When Jesus went to the cross... And he bore our shame and he bore our iniquities upon himself. And he took the wrath of God upon himself and died and paid the price in full and was buried and rose from the grave. He accomplished for us reconciliation with God. And if you are reconciled with God, Christian, then he's the only one that matters in the universe. His opinion of you is the only opinion that truly matters in the end. And if you can get that, if you can grasp that, if you can live with that truth ruling you, you will be free. And we will be a subversive people. The kind of people like the disciples who turned the world upside down in a number of years, or rather turned it right side up. If we will enter into this rest, if we will believe that the work is finished, that what needed to be done is accomplished, that our Lord is Lord of the Sabbath.
Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for providing a Sabbath rest for your people. It is provided for us. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. It is finished. You have offered once for all time a perfect sacrifice. You have perfected those who are being sanctified. You have set us free from dead works to serve the living God. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you. Help us to see what we've been invited into and to begin to live in that reality, Lord. I pray for those here this morning who don't yet know you, Lord, who have not yet entered into your rest, whose souls are still burdened and weighed down by guilt and sin and slavery. God, would you rescue them, give them the gift of faith, help them to turn to you, Jesus, to look upon you and be saved, to believe and be set free and experience true rest as they experience peace with you. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.